trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Are you ready for that blind date with destiny? Because ready or not, uh, she's uh, knocking on your door right now. By the way, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. I know that uh, there's a lot of talk at the moment uh, going on about uh, some of the uh, Twitter file uh, revelations and Man, I'll tell you, it's it's been very interesting to see, you know, all the people who were concerned that, well, you know, is, is, you know, social media, the big tech giants, are they colluding with government or colluding with politicians to try to very uh, artificially limit, you know, the things that we're allowed to consider? In other words, the facts or the truths. And, and I know there's misinformation out there, too. But, um, you know, people people ask the question, well, Brian, if... If uh, if free speech would cause people to die, do you still think it should be allowed? The answer is yes. Of course it should. Because the only, the only thing that uh, suppressing speech is going to do is allow lies and deception to have the upper hand. So I don't care if it's dangerous. Look, I, I accepted this a long time ago. Freedom is dangerous. Freedom has uncertainty. But I would take that uncertainty over the uh, safety, you know, and the assurance that uh, the, the chains on me really are protecting me from anything happening and knowing that somebody else is calling all the shots in my life. That makes sense, right? I know. Well, probably, you know, for some people, it's like, no, that's a very fringe position. Well, so be it. But I will say it was kind of gratifying to, to see some of these uh, revelations come out where, where it's very clear. You know, the Biden administration, the the officials who were working to get Joe Biden elected in 2020 had no compunction whatsoever about turning to Twitter and saying, hey, we need you to silence this voice, silence that voice on your platform. And apparently Twitter officials did it. And when you see the breakdown of how they contributed, how how Twitter employees contributed, as well as uh, how they they tended to to lean, I think uh, by... By this year's election, by the 2022 elections, it was 99.73% Democrat to whatever's left. <laughs> Less than a 1%, you know, that actually would contribute to uh, to Republicans. And I know this is framing things in a little Democrat versus Republican. The point is to enforce a left-wing sanitized worldview that only agrees with, you know, what uh, whatever the political left wants Twitter's hierarchy was more than willing to go along with it. And I know there are questions about Elon Musk. Well, is he really, you know, is he just just some puppet or is he, you know, some, I don't know. Is he some false character that's been put in place to lead us astray? I can't answer that question. But watching the left have a come apart all weekend long over the fact that, you know, well, this really is, we all knew this anyways. Well, if you knew it, why didn't you report on it? In fact, why wasn't it reported? On, why wasn't it on the front page of the New York Times? You know, it wasn't. In fact, most of the world's uh, news organizations, and especially American media, though, corporate media was like, oh, they're not going to touch that. And for good reason. It shows them to be the control, control freak. Sorry, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully because I want to use words that are not FCC approved. It shows them to be the control freak jerks. 
that we've been saying they were. And it's, you know, it's, it's another nail in the coffin of uh, trust in, in legacy media. How people can believe them, and I, I get it, there's, there's sophistry that's at work. Oh, but, you know, this is what any reasonable person would think. No, it's not. And by saying that, I'm not uh, trying to imply, you know, Donald Trump really was and is the answer to all of our prayers. I don't know if you heard over the weekend Trump talking about, well, see, it's because of stuff like this we need to be able to set aside the Constitution. And it's like, dude, nope, you don't get it. If you're calling for setting aside the limits on government, the rule book, the contract that called government into existence because there's a perceived political gain or there's an emergency, I'm sorry, but uh, you're no better than those leftists who want to do the same thing, but for, for different reasons. Anyway, I feel like I'm on a little bit of a rant, but it, it, was, uh, it was interesting to see this information come out. There's still more to go. Very telling, too. I think it was Michael Malice who pointed this out on Twitter, that uh, when, when Musk wanted to get this story out, he did not go to corporate media. He went to an independent journalist, Matt Taibbi, who uh, is, has been publishing on Substack. It's funny, too, to watch the, ma- the mainstream media. Well, Mr. Substack, as if, you know, that's a, that's a terrible thing. But guess what? Substack's actually a very legitimate platform. A lot of the information that I get for this program comes from following writers and journalists on Substack. And, uh, by the way, in the interest of a shameless plug, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. I launched my own Substack a little over a week ago. And uh, it's, it's called Hide in Plain Sight. Yes, I understand it's playing on, on my name. What you'll find there, though, is not uh, the, the typical fare of what I'm doing here on this show, in that uh, it's short 250-word essays, and, and I, I actually do a podcast version of this as well for those who just want to hear my sexy voice reading it off. Um, no, I, it's there to, to inspire and to uh, remind people that there are sometimes principles and and uh, ideas that we tend to overlook that's the hide in plain sight part we're, we're distracted and we just don't see these things and they're very non-political so if you're interested go to hide in plain um as of yet it's not a subscription service and, I, and i'm really i'm torn on this because i would love to put more effort into doing that kind of um edifying content, you know, stuff that, that tends to inspire and, and uplift people as opposed to what I'm doing right here, right now, which is <laughs> having a gripe and, and uh, basically complaining about some of the stuff going on. But I, I haven't yet pulled the trigger on, on doing a subscription part of it. I'm, can I just share with you, this is what I'm thinking. The essay part, I think I will keep as a free accessible to anybody who wants to to access it sort of feature and i may make the uh, the audio part subscription now we're talking like 5 bucks a month or 50 bucks a year something like that i've i've crunched a couple of numbers but i haven't done it yet because frankly i'm just i'm having fun with it and i'm just trying to see if it's if it's going to get uh, the kind of traction that i hope it will get i'm not looking to get rich i'm not looking to get famous but i want to use the, the tools that I have available to me to do something good. Now, I, I'm trying to do something good with this show, even though I find myself, and today I've, I've got a few, you know, I, I can see, I've got a couple of articles lined up here that are going to sound like, wow, he's really uh, complaining about this. But 
I also want you to remember there's, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of beauty to be found in our world. And it's very easy to overlook. And, and frankly, I look at what the, the mainstream press does. Most of their job is to keep us in fear and to keep us alarmed or keep us angry and outraged. Oh, wow, somebody said this. Whoa, can you believe that? I don't really want to add more anger to the situation. So for what it's worth, I've shamelessly plugged my Substack. I hope it's something you'll check out. And, you know, I welcome, I welcome constructive feedback. All right, moving on. It's about time. Let's do start with with a couple of kind of positive things. I mean, it's it's not hard to catalog everything that's going wrong right now. But if you're looking for something to inspire your heart, there were a couple of great articles from David Deming published over the weekend on LewRockwell.com. And the first one was titled Human Potential is Illimitable. I had not uh, even heard that word before, but I kind of like it. it. Rolls off the tongue. David Deming says, with information and energy, Anything allowed by the laws of nature is possible. Now he's talking about the confluent emergence of robotics, artificial intelligence, and nuclear fusion power, bringing this within our sight. In the centuries to come, he says human beings will reach unprecedented levels of prosperity and welfare. The natural environment will be healed and restored, and he says humanity will spread throughout the galaxy. See, he's taking this in a pretty positive direction. Nuclear power, he says, is inevitable because that's where the energy is. Hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. The fusion of hydrogen atoms into helium powers stars. The reservoir of hydrogen on Earth alone is sufficient to meet the needs of any conceivable human civilization into the indefinite future. Now, For more than 50 years, the pursuit of practical energy generation through fusion has failed. But in recent years, there's been rapid progress in using a number of novel techniques. And it seems likely that within a decade or two, at least one of these approaches will come online as a practical means of generating electrical power. Now, I got to tap the brakes here because I'm coming up on my own commercial break, but uh, he's right. And actually, there are little modular reactors and, and, and a couple of different types of reactors that are very safe and very portable. As in, you don't have to build a whole, you know, nuclear power plant, you know, like uh, Three Mile Island size. That's probably the wrong plant to use. But (laughs) anyway, you don't have to build a great big plant. These uh, small reactors are modular enough and small enough. You can actually put them on a truck and take them where they need to be used. That sounds very promising. Nothing against wind power or sun power, but uh, the atom is where it's at. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out to my sponsors, including GarageDoorProServices.com, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. I'm sharing with you an article here from David Deming. He's writing out of Oklahoma, and he's talking about how human potential is illimitable. And, you know, with, with all the crazy stuff going on and all the, everybody at everybody's throats, this can be very hard to, to, uh, to recognize. It's easy to overlook is what I'm trying to say. But when he talks about how our potential is, is really, you know, it's, it's to the moon and back or, or even further, He's not kidding. He says, by the end of this century, most of our power generation will be by means of nuclear fusion. 
Now, what that means is the cost of electricity will drop. Abundant and cheap energy has almost endless implications for solving human problems. If energy is inexpensive, desalination can provide limitless amounts of fresh water wherever it's needed. Global warming and the planetary climate can be modulated by pulling carbon dioxide directly out of the air. Inexpensive energy will also enable the most cost-effective synthesis of chemical fuels where the use of these remains appropriate, like in aviation or in rocket ships. It'll become feasible to manufacture hydrocarbon fuels directly from carbon and water. Gasoline will become a renewable source of power storage and utilization. He says artificial intelligence combined with robotics will provide a means of channeling and utilizing energy to achieve anything that is possible. These technologies are sufficiently advanced to be on the verge of producing an autonomous self-driving automobile. I know those of you with Teslas are like, well, I can already do that in mine. The rapid maturation of artificial intelligence is demonstrated by the fact that computer programs can now easily defeat the best human chess players. Industrial robots are replacing human beings in a number of roles where they can perform many tasks more reliably and accurately. And I love that he mentions the James Webb Space Telescope. If you haven't seen some of the images coming from this, this... It's enough to, to humble you just, just a little bit. He says it's an awesome achievement, but future telescopes will not be laboriously pieced together on Earth and then transported into space. The raw materials will be gathered in space or transported to the appropriate location and then assembled by robots guided by artificial intelligence. The process will be much more robust as the assemblers will remain on site after completion to affect any needed repairs or to correct any malfunctions. Telescopes with mirrors a kilometer or more in diameter could be used to scout nearby stars for Earth-like planets suitable for colonization. If human life could be prolonged, colonization of the Milky Way galaxy will be inevitable. The average distance between stars in the galaxy is about five light years. Even if the speed of light remains an insurmountable obstacle, interstellar travel is theoretically possible. Rockets can be accelerated to some appreciable fraction of the speed of light using nuclear pulse propulsion. If the average human life expectancy at birth can be increased to, say, a thousand years, then a trip taking a hundred years becomes feasible. And eventually, humans will not search out Earth-like worlds, but construct artificial worlds. Now, this process has already been foreseen. The 1970 novel Ring World by Larry Niven describes an artificial world rotating like a ring around a star. Niven's ring world has a diameter equivalent to that of Earth's orbit, a width of one million miles, and provides three million times the living space that Earth does. Such a world could be roofed by solar panels that open and close, alternating day and night, moderating temperature, and generating large amounts of electrical energy. He says construction of such a prodigious artificial world could be accomplished effortlessly by pushing a button. A probe will be launched, reach a distant solar system, and scout to see if sufficient raw materials are available. If so... The machine will proceed to duplicate itself and construct other machines until a massive army of robots is assembled. This process of exponential growth and replication mimics nature. Nature utilizes seeds that contain information and a limited amount of stored energy, but the seed then uses its programmed instructions to unfold and grow, utilizing energy and raw material from the surrounding environment. That's kind of cool. That nature is capable of assembling a living organism vastly more complex than any artificial world from the information coded only by the four nucleobases that compose DNA. 
Now, he says the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy is about 100,000 light years. Human civilization will spread slowly, leapfrogging from star star system to star system. Colonizing other galaxies is an an entirely different challenge. The nearest large galaxy, Andromeda, is 2.5 million years light distant. Assuming again that the speed of light is an inviolate limit, trips of more than a million years are impossible within within any human lifespan. But a truly advanced and visionary civilization with sufficient resources could spread life throughout the cosmos by sending seeds on unmanned probes capable of making voyages throughout intergalactic space lasting for millions of years. This is the old theory of panspermia, the idea that life is spread throughout the cosmos by the dissemination of seed material. Now, what this seed material would consist of is unclear, but it would have to be capable of surviving for millions of years and have the potential to spring into some form of to spring into some form of life when it reaches a suitable environment. In fact, he says nature offers a suggested model in the form of spores, which remain viable for tens of millions of years. It's entirely possible that Earth has already been seeded repeatedly by alien civilizations living in distant parts of the cosmos. This would help explain the incredible diversity and abundance of life on Earth, as well as anomalies in the fossil record, such as the Cambrian explosion. If the seeding of life on Earth seems impossible, or implausible rather, he says consider that if it only happened at once every hundred million years, it would already have happened 45 times in terrestrial history. David Deming says with humans moving to artificial worlds, the home planet can be turned into a park. Robotic labor can remove blemishes left by human activity, dig up landfills and remediate all environmental damage. Contaminants will be removed from the oceans, lakes and streams. Concrete and other materials will be ripped up, broken down again into their constituent elements and recycled. Vast herds of bison will once again range through the prairie grasses of the American Midwest. The environment will be restored to a pristine state or perhaps improved if our understanding of the science of ecology becomes sufficiently advanced. Now, look, he admits, he says, the preceding speculation may seem fantastic, but it's just an extrapolation of a long-term trend. Since Homo habilis first walked the earth about 2.3 million years ago, the history of the human race has been a history of accelerating technological progress. From the first stone tools, the utilization of fire, writing, and the harnessing of artificial power sources, our lives have become longer, richer, and more satisfying. Yet human beings have barely begun to fulfill our potential. And David Deming says we have reason to be optimistic about the future. By the way, I'm including in an, another article of his. Uh, Lou Rockwell published both of these over the weekend. And this is one on our underground future. Kind of interesting stuff. I, I have a good friend. My, my friend Ralph was telling me some time ago about uh, Elon Musk and, and in addition to Tesla and in addition to Starlink, in addition to SpaceX and, and of course, uncovering, uh, you know, corruption at the highest levels, he has really been leading the way in tunneling and uh, very fascinating stuff. He's invested in this tunnel boring technology where they can bore very large tunnels in a very, very quick time frame. I'll leave that article there for you to to check out for yourself the bottom line is underground infrastructure is very robust like an underground electric grid can be shielded or hardened against geomagnetic storms or even emps lots of reasons to be optimistic about the future i think is is the the premise here 
And some of it may just sound like science fiction, but you know what? There's a lot of stuff that you and I are carrying around with us today that was definitely science fiction even 50 years ago. I'm not trying to weird you out by saying, yeah, we're going to the stars, man. But uh, there's some very interesting progress that's being made. And maybe that's just one more reason to uh, celebrate the good that humanity is capable of. I know we don't hear much about it. It's probably more profitable to talk about the bad things people are doing and saying to each other. At least that's what seems to drive much of our modern news cycle. But for what it's worth, you got a couple of articles here that will be in today's show notes that might just lift your eyes a little bit higher. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out here to garagedoorproservices.com. If you are within the sound of my voice and you happen to live in or around St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona, you are within the service area of Garage Door Pros. They service, they install, they repair garage doors, and they are there to help you in your time of need. And something you may want to think about, especially if you're using your garage for storage. I know a lot of people have uh, kept their food storage in their garage and then found out later, wow, you know, uh, that summer heat, not really helping. Well, you can get insulated garage doors. If you want to find out more, go to garagedoorproservices.com. All the details are right there. Again, garagedoorproservices.com. All right. So I'm going to be a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit on the uh, complaining side here, but uh, but I gotta I gotta share this with you. Corporate media, of course, is having a tough time with its credibility lately, and maybe that's a good thing. But I want to share this article from Brandon Smith that takes the uh, MSM and the political left to task for their shameless exploitation of tragedies in the quest to obtain more power over us. And maybe you, you heard a little bit about this um, with the uh, Q nightclub shooting that took place uh, back uh, just I get a week or so ago in Colorado Springs. Brandon Smith asks, what is the root of all evil? Money? No, he says, not really. Money's just a tool. It's like a hammer, a wrench, or even a gun. He says, when I think of evil, I don't envision a handgun or a rifle or even a big pile of $100 bills. Instead, I see nightly news, talking heads spreading fear and disinformation. I see mobs of over-emotional and ignorant activists setting fire to buildings, tearing things down because they don't know how to build anything useful and new. But he says, above it all, I see a small group of elites hovering, licking their chops as they fantasize about the potential power that can be gained from exploiting the chaos. Now, he says, the willingness to destroy and cause suffering for personal benefit is evil. The willingness to feed off the tragedies of others is evil. And these are the cold characteristics that currently define the political left. There have been multiple criminal events and national emergencies over the last few years that leftists have been very quick to hijack or scapegoat onto conservatives, often with embarrassing results for themselves. In fact, he links to one of the most recent being the Colorado Club Q shooting in which five people died and at least 19 were injured. And he gives you a, a, a link of mainstream media's reaction to the event with little to no facts on hand to back their claims. And um, I'm not going to play the clip. It's, it's about six minutes of some pretty serious sophistry. 
But suffice it to say, it's, well, because there are people who are, you know, opposed to and speaking out against, you know, either LGBT activism or trans activism or drag drag queen story hour or drag shows or whatever. This is why this violence takes place. And and it's, it lays it perfectly at the feet of anybody who isn't willing to let their freak flag fly. The only problem is the young man who carried out or is alleged to have carried out that shooting at Club Q was himself part of the LGBTQ plus community. Whoops. Now what? Brandon Smith says, leftists use a very predictable strategy when it comes to these kind of high-profile criminal acts. Immediately blame all conservatives and conservative principles for the crimes of one man. Even if the event had nothing to do with conservatives, let the public think it did. If a gun is involved, blame the legality of guns in general as if the weapon is the problem rather than the mental illness or psychopathy of the perpetrator. See, as it turns out, the the Club Q shooter, a suspect... Anderson Aldrich is actually a member of the LGBT community and identifies as non-binary with they-them pronouns. And he links to a CNN anchor's response as she's forced to admit on air that the suspect doesn't fit CNN's original narrative. I believe the exact word she uses. I don't know what to think of that. Yeah, damn straight you don't because you're trying to spin it and you can't. It just blew up in your face. She's clearly upset and bewildered at the revelations, says Brandon Smith, and the guests even start making excuses, suggesting that perhaps, well, maybe the subject is lying about his gender identity. Oh, really? Pretending? Is that what you're suggesting? Isn't that ironic? But why did they react this way? Aren't they supposed to be objective journalists merely reporting the facts as they become available? He says, yes, I realize the very idea is ridiculous, but it shouldn't be. The mainstream is a hostile force seeking to demonize around half the population of America, and we've grown used to it. With this information on the Club Q shooting, the story has all but disappeared from the news feeds as if it never happened. Just like the Waukesha massacre perpetrated by a BLM supporter or the alleged attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, and dozens of other recent crimes in which the facts do not serve the establishment narrative. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to speak to one that's a little bit closer to home here in Idaho. Um, in Moscow, Idaho, four university students found stabbed to death. This, is, this really rocked uh, the, the community up there at University of Idaho. And, you know, it's, it's a huge tragedy. And there are a lot of people that are still, you know, the police do not have a suspect. They don't know who did it. They don't know the reasons why. They're still investigating. But uh, the, there, there was a sense of some disappointment on the part of some in the media that the person didn't use a gun. It could have worked so well. If only they had used a gun, we could have finally, you know, you know, ramped up the gun control cries and, you know, beat the drum for this is why we can't allow these weapons to be in the hands of people, whether it be handguns, whether it be, you know, semi-automatic rifles or whatever. But no, the perpetrator apparently used a knife. And so it's, what I'm saying is it's less of a news story or less of an outrage generator because it can't be used to advantage. The exact kind of advantage and exploitation that, uh, that Brandon Smith is talking about here. I get it. It's cynical. It's sickening. But that is how the news media is operating today. So Brandon Smith asks, what can we learn about leftists from the Club Q scenario in particular? Well, he says, first, they're robotic in their responses rather than empathetic. 
They never pause to consider the complexities of the situation or wait to find out the truth. They jump to the conclusions they wish were true rather than seeking to learn more, much like children. Second, though the vast majority of crime in the U.S. is committed within Democrat-controlled cities and states, the left only wants to highlight a certain type of crime, mass shootings by straight white males. These events serve their political interests while the others do not. You will not hear Democrats mention the high murder rate of or black-on-black crime in anti-gun cities like Chicago, for instance. They don't care because there's no benefits or power to be squeezed from that ongoing tragedy. Third, leftists are not interested in justice. They're interested in control. Justice is about punishing the people that actually committed the crime. But for them, punishment of a suspect is secondary to the control that might be derived from the fear and panic the crime caused. Leftists will use any and every crisis or tragedy to demonize their political opponents. He says it's very difficult for the media to attach conservatives in the concept of hate crimes to a shooting enacted by a member of the gay community, just as it was very difficult for them to attach white conservatives to hate crimes against Asians last year when most of the attacks were committed in heavily leftist cities by mostly black assailants. Fourth, Brandon Smith says leftists will happily stand on the bodies of victims to undermine rational conservative positions. In the aftermath of Club Q, there was a mass campaign to attack the conservative stance against the grooming of children in public schools and all-ages drag shows. Leftists have, for some reason, decided that the sexualization of children is a hill they are willing to die on, and they will stop at nothing to justify drag dances and gender identity propaganda targeting kids. Now, he says, we can speculate on why Democrats are so obsessed with getting kids in front of dancing drag queens, flashing their crotches, or forcing kids to use made-up identity pronouns while questioning their biology. But the simplest explanation is that they want to groom impressionable children into the leftist fold so that they can be controlled for the rest of their lives. It's not the LGBT part that we have a big problem with. It's the manipulation and targeting of children that we have a problem with. Even if the Club Q shooter turned out to be a hardcore conservative instead of a trans person, that still wouldn't change the underlying situation. Two things can be true at the same time. Mass murder is wrong, and targeting children with political ideology and gender cultism is also wrong. Fifth, he says leftists often claim they have no interest in taking away American gun rights while at the same time demanding our guns be taken. It seems schizophrenic if you don't understand the concept of gaslighting, but narcissistic people often learn that saying one thing and doing the opposite is an excellent way to confuse their victims. As mentioned, they don't care about most crime in the U.S. They even try to deny rising crime statistics. However, they love a mass shooting, especially the tiny percentage that involve military-style rifles, because they think it will give them the political capital needed to get a majority of people to support further gun restrictions or outright gun confiscation. Okay, i got to tap the brakes here for a minute, but I'm going to come back and we'll finish up Brandon Smith's commentary. I think he's right. I love his response, too, to the idea of, look, the problem is if people are trying to groom our children, and I don't mean necessarily groom them for pedophilia, though that may be the aim of some, but if they're trying to groom them into obedient little leftists, that's a big problem. Actually, I think we kind of saw the results uh, partially in this last election. Not trying to cast aspersions on uh, those younger voters, but guess what? The ones who've been on the receiving end of a lot of this uh, leftist indoctrination over the last 10, 15 years, you can guess how they voted. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention lifesavingfood.com and encourage you, go to their website, avail yourself of uh, some of the tools that they have to provide peace of mind and preparedness for uncertain times. Since we're living in what I would term as uh, uncertain times, it just seems like an idea whose time has come. Again, that's lifesavingfood.com. I appreciate them being a sponsor of the show. I want to go back to uh, Brandon Smith's article about how the evil of the political left is rooted in their exploitation of tragedies. He says, it is a fact leftists want to end gun rights in the U.S. regardless of the Constitution, and they are willing to punish all gun owners for the crimes of a handful of people. Now, again, that's not about justice. This is about control. Why do they want to take away gun rights if they don't actually care about the deaths of people involved in crime? Well, we can only conclude that a well-armed population is a considerable obstacle to their agenda. The media will now have to play a game of spin as the Colorado shooting case unfolds. They're already claiming, well, the suspect's not actually trans, as if the suspect is faking as a means to avoid hate crime charges. So if this is true, he says it would also be a meaningless gesture as the hate crime charges make no difference in the overall prosecution of multiple murders. Also, generally speaking, people who commit hate crimes would be loath to identify as the thing they're supposed to hate. Good point. The fact remains, you cannot separate the political left from the tragedy whoring and crisis opportunism they employ. Without constant calamity, leftists serve no purpose and have no platform. They need disaster to remain relevant. They need panic as a tool for centralizing power. They need the populace to be constantly afraid, mostly of threats that don't exist and suspicions that are misplaced. They will attempt to gaslight and claim that conservatives are somehow the same. But we're not. We're not afraid of what we think they might do. We stand in opposition to what they are already doing. We aren't concerned about phantom enemies and imagined crises. We are concerned about the very real antagonists on our doorstep. You know, he says this is one of the many differences between leftists and conservatives. We're not going to attack fellow Americans for things they have not done or suspect people without evidence. We are only interested in stopping the trespasses that are happening right in front of our eyes. And Brandon Smith says we aren't going to be victimized while our attackers pretend to be victims, and we aren't going to pretend that we don't see agendas that are obvious. Most of all, to the best of our ability, we rely on the truth to make our case, while leftists rely on only deceit and spin. So the fact is, there is a divide now between leftists and conservatives that can never be mended. We're so different in our goals and principles, it is as if we were two different species, and for now... Only one side has acted consistently to destroy the other. Now, I realize that's pretty harsh. I mean, that's he's, he's mincing no words here. I don't think he's wrong, though. And as far as the gun control stuff goes, look, you know, you can see the desperation. You can see how badly the left is trying to, to get, you know, to get us disarmed. If they're willing to attack us like this while we still have the capability of fighting back, can you imagine what they would do to a population that's been rendered helpless through disarmament? Mm. Not something to th- not something you'd want to, you know, I don't think you want to go there. 
I don't think they want to go there, but I unfortunately think that's that's exactly where they're headed. All right, one final article that I wanted to share. Watching the perpetrators of official fraud tap dance their way around questions that would hold them accountable is as revealing as it is sickening. I've got a great article here from Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute. How to Save Your Skin, According to Bankman, Freed, and Fauci. He says, we're being gifted with a series of extremely impressive displays of accountability avoidance. They've been virtuosic, virtuosic acts, ones for the history books. He says, I speak of the strange rhetorical symmetry between Anthony Fauci and Sam Bankman-Fried and their responses under questioning for bad actions that no one denies except themselves. He says, I've watched what feels like a hundred hours of interviews and read transcripts of many more, and they're enormously frustrating. They both specialize in justifying small things while systematically overlooking the big picture for which they are wholly responsible. They speak in a passive voice about mistakes made, but bounce off quick, bounce off that quickly to fob off the claim, the blame rather for results on everyone but themselves. So what appears below, he says, is a composite of them both. It's written as farce, but it's an oddly realistic one. Let's say that a person named Sam Fauci Freed has been accused of two crimes, theft of socks from Walmart and forcibly preventing children from attending school. Here's Sam under questioning. Did you or did you not steal socks from Walmart? It's an excellent question, and thank you for asking it. So as I think back on the events under consideration here, we first need to understand the circumstances in which there are many pairs of socks, far more than were being sold, and also a genuine opportunity for a broader and frankly more socially aware distribution of foot covering through the community. This is where we and many others in our enterprise got involved. So did you steal the socks? I do understand the point of your question, and I think it's a, and it's a good one. I think most fundamentally we're dealing with a misalignment of perceptions over collateralized loan obligations, which under normal conditions would be satisfied by rehypothecation through various counterparties over which I have no control. That said, it is true that I should have been keeping a closer watch. As CEO, that was my responsibility. Okay, rephrasing, do you have any socks that belong to someone else? This really does raise the question of providence, which, as you well know, can be very complex in mechanized markets where traders are presented with a range of options from futures to securitized derivatives. On the one hand, one can take custody of a basket of commodities, but if you look carefully at the terms of service, that is contingent on an estimation of the risk profile over a range of time. In a volatile market, these conditions may or may not apply. Can you give the socks back? Let me be perfectly clear. It is my understanding, and this may not be entirely precise because I do lack access to all relevant data, that there is no question of full liquidity for customers in the U.S., and I would also like to draw attention to the excellent supervisory role of Japan in this respect. As for my own custodial relationship, given the present situation due to legal proceedings, I'm in no position to effectuate a reallocation of my disposition due to my admitted misestimation of liquidity conditions. All right, let's move on to the second charge, namely that you forcibly prevented children from going to school. How do you answer? If you look at the record, you will see that I never locked down anyone. In my position, it was merely my role to make known the existence of common-sense health measures during a time of community spread as recommended by relevant authorities. But, but, sir, we have multiple examples of interviews and speeches and even a trove of emails in which you said children should be stopped from going to school in some places for as long as two years. Are you not the nation's most powerful person to dictate to others on the grounds of health? Again, I oversee operations amounting to billions. The very idea that I have time to concern myself with such trivialities is absurd. 
but we have the emails. I do not recall. Again, I'm a very busy man trying to save lives. Did you get the idea that you can save lives by closing schools from a foreign totalitarian regime? If you're speaking of China's social distancing measures, those are just common sense, and it was my obligation to draw attention to their effectiveness in slowing the spread with a distinct purpose in mind. For my part, I never went to China, and I deeply resent the implication that I did. But you sent your deputy assistant, correct? And he reported to you that China was doing a great job, and you accepted his word. My role is to receive and pass on competent advice, but my role is limited to a purely advisory position. You're barking up the wrong tree here. As for all other questions, suffice it to say, I do not remember. Now, again, this, this is satirical, or at least it's, it's farcical, the way that uh, he's written this, but Jeffrey Tucker captures, especially Dr. Fauci, beautifully. And Tucker says, when Richard Nixon was caught red-handed in a, con- a cover-up, he resigned. When the markets turned down during Bernie Madoff's reign, he confessed and turned himself in. But that was before the onset of post-structuralism where everyone gets to dream up a subjective reality and call it true. Fancy words replace facts and philosophical complexity masks moral clarity. And of course, the madness of lockdowns only intensified the problem. They pretended as if wrong is right and ill health is health, both physically and mentally, and were so used to lies that many people have grown weary of protesting them. We are so beaten down that we can barely demand that people take responsibility for what they've done. And the perpetuators have become skilled at saving their own skins. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, will we ever get to the bottom of these cases? The answer is not if those who benefited from their capers also sit in judgment. Instead, they might make a mint from speaking fees and book royalties. Cynical times we live in, much like the scenes in the Hunger Games when the regime was stable and carnage for sport was the norm. I'll have a link to this article in today's show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. That's maddening. And, and I'm waiting for the full transcript, especially of Dr. Fauci's uh, deposition to come out. I'm still toying with the idea that what I really need to come up with, I need to, I need to create a Dr. Fauci Christmas ornament. Not because I think he's such a great guy, but because at some level I just think that uh, if I could just look over there and just see him gently swinging on that tree somehow I'd feel better what too soon this is the Brian Hyde show